I want to begin this morning by asking you this. When your family get together, when you and your family get together, you gather together for a, a holiday, whether it be Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, how many of you celebrate that by eating a meal? All of you, right? How many of you eat several meals or maybe the same meal several times, right, if you have a, a large portions? That's the way we celebrate as well. It's, it's interesting to think about how many of our holidays revolve around the meal. With our family, when we get together, which I have my family here with us today, when we get together, we gather for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons we get together is to eat together. And one of the questions often asked by members of the family around the holidays is, what's the, what's the menu? Who's bringing what and what are we having on, on what day? The meal is a central part of us getting together. And if you think about it, our lives revolve around the meal. How many of you have said this in the past few weeks, made one of these statements? How many of you have said, hey, let's meet for breakfast, or I've got this and this and this to get done before lunch, or I've got to get this work finished so I can be home in time for dinner. How many of y'all have said that? We, we, that's a part of our vocabulary, right, on a regular basis, and we get excited about the meal, don't we? How many of you in here are excited because you know where you're going for lunch today, or what you have in the crock pot, whatever that may be? Yeah. We've got whole rooms just designated for meals, right? We've got one room, all of us do, where we keep the utensils and the spices and the ingredient and the food. Some of you have two rooms. How many of you have a kitchen and a dining room? Some of you, yeah. So two rooms in your house just for food. Food plays a big role in our lives. Well, guess what? We're going to learn this morning that not only does food play a big role in our lives, but also a big role in God's Word. Think about some of the major events in Scripture, and what you find is food associated and connected with the story in some way. Think about First book of the Bible, Genesis. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and what was the, the main command he gave them? You can eat from every tree but one. And what was the first sin? Eating from the tree they were told not to eat from, right? Fast forward a bit to the Israelites in Egyptian bondage. Why were they in Egypt to begin with? Because there was a famine a lack of food. When God delivers them from Egyptian bondage, what does he tell them before delivering them? He says, I want you to have a Passover meal. And, and when they leave Egypt and they head toward the land of promise, what is the one characteristic of that land of promise? It's a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. While they're in the wilderness, how does God provide for them? What does he give them? Manna, right? Manna from heaven and water from the rock. And, and when Jesus comes on the scene, does he talk about food? He does, a lot. His first miracle, water to wine at a wedding celebration. 
He referred to his disciples as the salt of the earth. He referred to himself as the bread of life. He told the parable of the fig tree and the sower and the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. He had a miracle where he healed uh, uh, fed 4,000 and then 5,000. Then there's an account of him during his post-resurrection ministry in John 21 with his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias where they eat broiled fish together. There is a lot in the scripture about food. And today we are going to focus in on one of the most significant meals in scripture. And then after we're finished, we are going to participate in this meal. We're going to take this meal as God's people together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. We're doing things a little bit differently for those of y'all visiting with us. Normally, I take a text of Scripture and I preach right through it. And then I start where I left off in the, in the next week. I start right there and just continue through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are currently in the book of Luke. And we stopped uh, in Luke 2 right before Christmas. And we're going to pick up with Luke and continue going till we're finished in a couple of weeks, but for this week and next week, I thought it was a good time to focus in on uh, what the Bible teaches about the Lord's Supper, and then next week we're going to talk about baptism. Then we'll be back in uh, Luke. So we're jumping around a little bit today, not too much, but we're really focusing in on this meal here. And uh, depending upon tradition, depending upon how you were brought up, you probably call it different things. If we went around the room, some of you would say communion. That's what we call it here. I grew up in a Baptist church. We call it the Lord's Supper. But whatever you call it, here's what we know about it from Scripture. What we learn from this passage and others like it is that there are three aspects, three sides, three parts to this Meal. There is a past aspect, a present aspect, and a future aspect. And I truly believe in order for us to truly participate in this Lord's Supper meal the way we, we should, the way God intends, we need to understand this meal from those three points. So let's begin by talking about the past aspect of the Lord's Supper, the past aspect of communion. This is the one most people in here are familiar with. Look at Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with them, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So this is Luke's account of when Jesus instituted this Lord's Supper meal. This is shortly before, as many of you know, shortly before he's arrested and tried and killed. And look at what he says again in verse 15. 
He says, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus knows it's coming. He is preparing his disciples in the upper room for his departure. And one of the things he tells them before he leaves them is he wants them to participate in this meal, to take this meal that he is instituting here. He wants them to take it together regularly, on a regular basis. Jesus tells them, when you take it, I want you to take it in remembrance of me. I want you to do it in remembrance of what I'm about to do for you. I'm about to suffer for you. I'm about to die for you. I'm about to go away. And when I do, I want you to take this meal as a reminder of this work that I'm about to accomplish on your behalf. He says, I want you to take it as a memorial. I want you to take it Remembering this work I'm about to do. I want you to look back on this work and your mind to go there when you take of this meal. Take it in remembrance of me. Look at verse 19. He says, do this in remembrance of me. It says, when you take the bread, that is to serve as a reminder to you of my body. When you eat it, you are to remember that my body was given to you for you. You are to remember that I was sent by God and I came willingly and I took on flesh and I lived among you and I lived for you. He, he says, when you take the bread, I want you to remember Emmanuel, God with us, that God the Son came down to you, became a man and lived for you in order to save you. And he says, when you take the cup, I want you to remember the fact that my blood was poured out for you. I want you to think of, of my substitute and, and sacrifice. I want you to remember that I, I gave my life for you. The blood that was flowing through my veins was poured out for you. So this event, this meal that Jesus is initiating here was to be taken on a regular basis by his followers looking back to this work that Christ did for them, that he accomplished for them by becoming a man and giving his life for their salvation. Now, let me tell you this. Many of you, you know this, right? You might have grown up in the church. You've been here with us a number of years. We do this every, every month. So you, you, you know this, but let me tell you, at this time, this was shocking news for the disciples because they thought they were getting together to have a Passover meal. In fact, Jesus calls it that. He, he says, we're going to gather together for Passover. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The Passover is one of the oldest institutions given to Israel. Predates Mosaic law, the priesthood, all the other rituals and ordinances observed by the Jews. And at the time of Jesus and his disciples, the Israelites had participated in it for close to 1,500 years. Think about that. At that time, the Passover meal went back almost 1,500 years. Many of you know the story. It all started with the Israelites in Egypt. They were slaves being oppressed. God came on the scene, said through his man, Moses, let my people go. But Pharaoh refused, so God started sending plagues. But they didn't wake Pharaoh up, right? So then God decides to send the plague of plagues. 
to take the life of, of every firstborn child. But you remember the Israelites had an opportunity to be spared from this plague by going out and sacrificing a lamb and taking the blood of the lamb and spreading it over their doorpost. And when that was done, they were passed over. That's God's grace right there in their lives. They were, they were spared. And this event finally broke Pharaoh for a moment. And, and after this event, God's people were allowed to leave Egypt. And here's what God knew. God knew that his people were forgetful. And we know that they are, right? Just read the book. They were forgetful. So he said, I'm going to give you this Observance. I'm going to give you this meal. I want you to do it every year, and it's going to remind you of what I'm going to do for you. So on the night of the Passover, when the children of Israel were passed over, he gave them this meal. And here's what they did. They had a meal called a Passover meal, and during the meal they had several key elements that were a part of the meal that helped serve as a reminder to them of what took place on that night. We don't have time to go into all the details of it. That's a separate lesson altogether, okay? But I'll, I'll mention a few things, just highlight a few things. They, they were to take a lamb and take the lamb outside. They were to sacrifice the lamb and take its blood and put it on the altar going forward with this meal. And they were to bring the lamb back inside and they were to roast and eat it. And this was a reminder to them that a sacrifice was made for their salvation. A sacrifice was made for their deliverance. And every single year after this event, when the Passover meal was taken, the lamb was to remind them of all of those lambs that were, that were sacrificed so that they could be delivered. So for every year, most, most years... 1,500 years, they celebrated this Passover with the lamb. They would also have unleavened bread at this Passover meal. The unleavened bread reminded them of a few things. First, it reminded them that God didn't want them to just kind of hang around and linger. He wanted them to get up and get out quickly, leave Egypt in haste. When he delivered them, he did not want them to spend the night and just sort of hang around until checkout time at 11 and then get gone. He said, I, I want you to have unleavened bread as a sign to you, a reminder to you that you ate quickly and you left town. You didn't have time to put this leavening agent in. You ate quickly and left. Listen to God's words in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. You'll be reading Exodus 12 this week in your scripture reading. He says, in this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Another reason they were to eat bread in this way was because the unleavened bread was to remind them, get this, that Egyptian culture and religion was to no way influence them moving forward. Just like yeast influences a batch of bread, causing it to rise, so the Lord did not want their bread to have any yeast in it as a reminder to the Israelites that the Egyptian culture and religion was to in no way, shape, or form have, have any influence on them. Another thing that they had was this paste that was called chesarin, and it was made from fruit and, 
and nuts, and they were to dip the bread into that pasty, bitter substance, and it was to remind them of all the hard work that they had done while they were slaves in Egypt. There was a bitter herb that was put into the paste, and that bitterness reminded them of the bitter situation that they had in, in Egypt. They were to be reminded that while we were slaves, God delivered us. And at the end of this Passover meal, the youngest son was supposed to stand up and ask the question, Dad, what makes this night more special than any of the other nights? And after that question, the dad would explain all the elements of the meal. He would say, this is what the meat represents. Here's what the bread represents. Here's what the paste and the herbs represent. And they would relive the story, and he would remind them of what God had done for them to deliver them. And also in the, uh, throughout the supper at four separate times, they would uh, drink the wine, and they would uh, have a drink of wine, and they would remember and recount God's promises to them. Got it? Now let's go back to Luke 22. Let me ask you this. Do you think when Christ said to his disciples, we're going to have a Passover meal, do you think there was any at that time that said, what's that? Passover meal? How do we prepare for that? What are you talking about? No. They knew what Passover was. They knew what this meal was all about. They had been celebrating this meal their entire lives. So they, they went into this meal expecting to celebrate Passover the same way they did their whole life. It's also not by chance that Jesus introduces the Lord's Supper meal on the same night Passover took place. Nothing's by coincidence. Nothing happens coincidentally in Scripture, right? Especially not this year. It's not by coincidence that these two meals happen on this same day. Jesus intentionally establishes the Lord's Supper on the same night of Passover. And the reason why is because he is going to transform this meal. Think about it. This is a, a key event in church history. On the night Jesus introduced the Lord's Supper, it was the last divinely ordained Passover meal and the first divinely ordained Lord's Supper meal. Very, very important night. So, so picture this. All the elements of Passover are laid out. They're ready. Some of the disciples had gone ahead and, and prepared the meal. They had the elements ready. Jesus shows up. They sit down. They're getting ready to take the Passover meal. Jesus stands up. He, he takes the bread. And as he's standing there, we don't know. We're not told this. But there, there might have been someone who asked this question. Lord, what makes this night different from any other night? And you know what they're expecting to hear? Story of the Exodus. What all the elements represent. But what do they get instead? Look at verse 19. Luke 22. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, though we're not told the response of the disciples here, my guess is when Jesus stood up and said, this is my body, their jaws probably hit the floor. They were like, what? 
What are you, what are you talking about? No, 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 you're, you're mistaken. The unleavened bread, it, it represents that we had to leave in haste. Our forefathers, they had to get up and get out of Egypt quickly. It's to remind them that, that Egyptian culture and religion was to in no way influence them moving forward. Jesus says, no, this bread is my body. What's he doing here? He's changing the script. He's transforming the meal. He's not abolishing it, but transforming it into something much bigger and better than the Exodus, something newer. He is transforming the Passover up to this time when, when the Jewish people were looking back at God's greatest work of deliverance, they would go back to Egypt. They would go back to that great deliverance. Now Jesus doesn't want them to go all the way back to Egypt. He wants their minds to go to Calvary. He wants their focus to be on his great work of deliverance that he accomplished at the cross. From this point forward, God's people are no longer to participate in the Passover meal, but instead in this communion meal, this Lord's Supper meal. Jesus says here, every time you take this bread and eat it from here on, I want you to remember that my body was given for you. He's transforming the meal. He's replacing this old memorial with the new memorial. And then he picks up the cup. Remember I told you there were four different times during the meal when they would, would drink the wine and they would remember what took place when God's people were delivered and they would remember God's great promises to them. Well, when Jesus held up the cup, he says nothing about the exodus. Instead, he says this, look at it. This cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He tells them, I want you to now associate this wine that you drink with my blood. He says, when you take this cup, I want you to remember that I laid my life down for you. My blood was poured out for you. Jesus says, I want you to take this new meal even after I'm gone. And when you take it, I want it to point you to this great work that I'm about to accomplish for you at the cross. How many of you have ever been to Washington, D.C.? Anybody in here? Remember the first time you went? Remember visiting all those memorials and monuments? What did it do? It took you back to history class, right? That book that you read. You were, you were reminded many people get emotional while they're there. It's, that's what they're meant to do. They're meant to bring you back to that time, to, to bring to your remembrance those things. Notice here, Jesus didn't designate a place. He didn't say, every year I want you to go to Bethlehem around Christmas time. I want you to visit there, and I want you to go to the place where they think I was born, and I want you to remember that. Or he didn't say, you know, around Easter, I want you to take a pilgrimage each and every year to Jerusalem and remember when I was put on trial and then go out to where I was crucified. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't give us a place. He didn't give us a day. He gave us a meal. He gave us a meal. He said, I want my followers to take this meal no matter where they are in the world. I want them to take this meal and when they take it, when they take the bread, I want them to remember my body that was given for them and when they drink of the cup, I want them to remember my death. So there's a past aspect to this communion meal. As we take communion today as believers, I encourage you today, take it as a memorial. 
Let this be a reminder to you of Christmas Day. Let this be a reminder to you of Emmanuel, of God with us. May this be a reminder to you that Christ came. He condescended down to us. He moved into the neighborhood. He tabernacled among us. He lived the perfect life for us. And may it be a reminder to you that he laid his life down. That perfect life. Jesus, our great high priest, in perfect sacrifice as our high priest, he offered up the perfect sacrifice himself, the Lamb of God, to take away our sin. May that be a reminder to you of that. There's also a present aspect of communion. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. Now keep your finger in Luke 22. We're going to be back there. 1 Corinthians 11. As I said earlier, I grew up in a Baptist church. And when we took the Lord's Supper, we very much, as I remember it growing up, Dad may correct me afterwards, you can, Dad. Uh, it, was, it, it was focused more, I remember, just on that past aspect, that, that memorial. It felt more kind of like a, a funeral. I remember it just being real quiet and somber and, and serious. And, and the main focus would be on, on that past Work and we had a table down front. Do this in remembrance of me. We were kind of reminded this is a, a memorial and it's to be that. Jesus told us that. But there is also a present aspect to this communion meal. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, present tense, the Lord's death until. He comes. So Paul says that as we take this communion meal, we are saying something. We are proclaiming something as we do it. When we take this meal, believers, what we're doing is we are saying to God and to one another as believers and also to non-believers in our midst that we as individuals, we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We are saying that we believe that Jesus died for us, that we are in desperate need of the work that he has done for us, and that we are trusting in that great work alone for our salvation. Every one of you, when you take communion, believers, you have an opportunity to preach the gospel. Do you realize that? In what you do, in taking the bread, in taking the drink. You are proclaiming, Paul says. You are preaching. You are showing that you are trusting in this great work. You're to do it to show God, I'm trusting in your son alone. You're to do it to encourage one another as believers, and you're also do it to, to witness to non-believers in our midst that Christ alone is your only hope of salvation. You're trusting in him alone for your great this, this great work of salvation. We are saying that we believe that Christ's body was given to us and for us, and we're saying we believe that he laid his life down, and we're trusting in that work alone for salvation. It's a proclamation that we make as believers. That's the reason why it can only be taken by believers. I often remind us of this, but it's, it's important that this be taken by believers because of what it shows we're showing outwardly what God has worked in our heart and life inwardly. That we have been changed, that we are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. For this reason, it's also important that we're not at odds with our brothers 
and sisters in Christ. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. Remember the, the, the Corinthians, that was one messed up church. They were, they were all kinds of messed up. They were divided in all kinds of ways, but they were, they were taking the Lord's Supper. We, we've got churches that do that. You know, they're at odds with one another, but they're committed to uh, the ordinance of, of uh, communion, right? And uh, Paul says, that's why some of you have gotten sick and some of you have died because you are dishonoring the Lord in the way that you're taking the supper. You're not taking it in a way that honors him. Listen, when God's people are at odds with one another, when we have issues with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we take communion, we distort the gospel message. God's gospel teaches us that we are one in Christ, that what unites us spiritually far outweighs all that divides us. That's why we need to go out of our way to, to live in right standing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You can't control how they receive that and how they respond, but you can control your response. We need to seek to be in right standing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe that's what you need to deal with this morning. Bring before the Lord. I encourage you to do that. And make the commitment to make those relationships right so that when we take of this communion, as we take this as a community of believers, we take it in a worthy manner, as, as Paul says. Very, very important. So as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, let's take it together as a community of God's people and let this be our message when we take it that we at Fellowship Bible Church Jacksonville, Texas, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the work that he accomplished for us through his life, death, and resurrection. We're in desperate need of that and we're trusting in him and in him alone for our salvation. So there's a past aspect there's a present aspect there's also a future aspect to the lord's supper let's look at that look again at first corinthians eleven twenty six. he says for all as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes okay so something in the present there, we're proclaiming that we're trusting in Christ alone for salvation. And then notice the last three words, until he comes again. So notice here, we often just focus on the life and the death of Jesus, but we should also focus on the resurrection, right? Because we're to be taking this meal until Christ returns again. We acknowledge the fact that Christ rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father on high, and he is returning the way he went for his bride, for his church. And we're to be taking this meal until he comes. So there is a future element as well. Not only does it point us to the past and to the present, but directs our focus toward the future. Now, where did Paul get this idea that the communion meal in some way points to the future? Well, he got it from Jesus. Go back to Luke 22. Look at verses 16 and then verse 18 of Luke 22. Jesus says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 18, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine 
until the kingdom of God comes. And what time is that? When he'll eat and drink again? When he returns, right? That's what he's talking about here. Jesus is not going to eat this communion meal, this last supper meal again until he returns. Now, some have argued that he's talking about just eating a meal in general with them, but we know that Jesus eats with them again because in John 21, we mentioned it at the beginning of the service when he's with his disciples on the, the, the shore of the uh, Sea of Tiberias. He has broiled fish with them for breakfast. So he's not talking about any meal. He's talking specifically about this communion meal, this Lord's Supper meal. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to eat this meal with you until the kingdom of God comes, until I return for you. So this meal is not simply meant to point us to the past, to the present, but to the future when Jesus returns for us, his bride. We're, we're told that when he returns, we're going to be made like him because we will see him as he is. We're going to be restored. Things are going to be made right. And get this. We're going to have a feast, another meal, right? With God's people in the presence of the Lord. He, he, he's saying, I'm instituting this first communion meal, this first Lord's Supper meal tonight, then I'm going to leave you, but I want you to continue with this meal and remember that I was with you. Remember my death. I want you to take this meal to preach the gospel to others in your midst that you're trusting in me alone for salvation. But as you take this meal, I also want you to remember and look out for and look forward to and anticipate the fact that I am returning for you one day and I'm going to be with you. And when I come for you, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a feast together. Guess what? That future meal, it's going to be just that. I'm going to be a little cracker and a shot of grape juice. A little piece of bread. It's not going to be that. When you eat the bread and when you drink the drink, it's just to serve as a little reminder to you. There's a feast coming there there's a time coming when the lord jesus is returning we're going to be brought together as a family we're going to live in his presence forever and we're going to feast it, it's to remind you believers of that and it's going to be a blessed time we're told that revelation 19 9 the angel tells us blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb amen Blessed, blessed. Jesus is returning for his church like a groom coming for a bride. And this meal that we are going to have is going to be the finest of feasts, but it's not the, the food ultimately that makes this feast wonderful. It's going to be wonderful because we are going to be together as a family, as a community, this time in the presence of our Lord and Savior. We're going to see him as he is, and we're going to be like him. So this meal that we're going to take this morning is meant to direct us toward the future as well. When God's kingdom comes, and when the bridegroom, Christ, returns for his bride. So this, this communion meal is meant to be taken, not just as a memorial, not just as a communion, but as a celebration in anticipation of the Lord Jesus' return. So the meal's about the past. No way you can divorce it from that. 
Jesus told us we're to be taking it in that way. Reminding us of Christ's life and death, but it's more than that. It's a present proclamation that we as a church are making, that we are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, and it's also a celebration in anticipation of His return. So believers, let's take it in that way today and from this day forward, each time we take it. May that be the way in which we take it. Let me end with this. If you're here this morning, you're not a believer. Like I said, though this meal is just for believers, I urge you, as we come to the table today, this is the time for you to reflect on your life up to this point. Reflect on your past. Reflect on your present and on your future and ask yourself this question. Am I prepared for Christ's return? He is coming. He's coming someday soon. We don't know when. That someday might just be today. So we got to be ready. Are you ready? Let me tell you how you can prepare yourself. You can ready yourself for that day. There's nothing you can do in your own strength. That's the first thing you got to realize. You got to land in the pit of despair. Remember like we talked about last week in Psalm 130. You got to come to the end of yourself. You got to realize God demands perfection and you're not it. Not even close. But God has sent his son to meet all the demands where we fail. Everywhere in which we failed, mentally and, 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 and verbally and physically, in our actions, he, he succeeded. He obeyed God perfectly. And He laid His perfect life down in our place and endured what was going to be our punishment. He died as our substitute and perfect sacrifice. Our great high priest came and He laid down the perfect sacrifice, His own life the Lamb of God, to take away our sin. The only way for you to be made righteous is for you to receive His righteousness in faith. You have to forsake your sin. You have to see that you're a sinner in need of salvation. You've got to turn from that sin, and you've got to look to and cling to Christ alone for your salvation to be saved. If you're here this morning and... You're not trusting in him. I, I urge you today to forsake your sin. Turn from your sin. Repent of sin. And fall at the feet of Jesus.